Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Funky Marketing Show. Uh, I think this is the first one that we are uh, live streaming uh, at this time. So I'm excited to see how it's going to go and who is going to engage with us. Uh, but today I have a pleasure to, uh, to host someone that I'm seeing a lot on LinkedIn. And she's talking about different topics, you know, from how to help startups, uh, you know, from ground zero to uh, to develop their marketing team uh, and st accelerate the growth, but also how to help executives, uh, you know, thrive and grow in this, uh, you know, challenging time we are living in. And, uh, you know, if uh, I'm not going to go and tell you her bio, because this is the conversation that we're going to have and you'll learn. But uh, but today, uh, Maya Grossman is, is joining me. She's... Uh, VP of Marketing, ex-Google, Microsoft. She's the best-selling author, startup advisor, and uh, lots of other things. And uh, join me in welcoming Maya to the show. And the first question I have, how old are you? Uh, and, you know, looking at the things that you have done so far. Oh, my gosh. Starting with how old I am. Okay, I actually turned 40 this year. Uh, and I'm very proud to say that uh, because I've learned so much throughout throughout my career. Um, and to your point earlier, I'm a marketer, I'm a career coach, I'm an author, um, and it's been a really interesting journey to kind of combine all of these together and figure out what makes me happy. Yeah, uh, I think we all now. I'm I'm like 37, going into 38. I think that's the time when we actually figure out, you know, what are the things that makes us happy and, you know, have a kind of a balance. It doesn't need to be one thing that we are doing. It can be lots of other stuff combined together along with, you know, with things we do outside of work. I know, but for the longest time, I thought the only way to be fulfilled is to have a great job. I didn't really think about anything outside of my job. I only focused on, I need to be a marketer and I need to be the best marketer. Um, and then a couple of years ago, um, almost by mistake, I was talking to a couple of people. I was giving career advice, something I've done for the past 15 years, uh, but I was repeating the same advice. So I ended up writing it down and somehow that career advice turned into a book and I realized, hey, I can do other things that really make me happy and I can even bring them together and do marketing and career coaching um, and help, you know, to your point, startup, right? But also help the executives who are stepping in and building their career in marketing. Yeah, that's that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you, like, uh, how, how much did actually publishing a book uh, help you in, you know, in accelerating the career and, you know, maybe uh, nailing uh, the way you want to go or maybe, you know, giving you different perspectives on the journey? Yeah, well, honestly, the reason why I actually decided to write the book is I wanted to help more people. So my one word, the one thing that drives me is impact. And it was never about how many books I can sell, but rather how many people can I help? And um, I think in doing that, I also thought, okay, how can I get people to even know that I wrote a book, right? I'm not this famous author, I'm not a celebrity. So I started posting some of my advice on LinkedIn and slowly I built a community. And I think that aspect, building in public and serving other people and sharing advice, that is what really helped 
move my career forward because it just helped um, establish some of my work, you know, as helpful and it helped establish me as a bit of an, of an expert in my field. Um, and it doesn't hurt to tell people I wrote a book, but um, I don't think that aspect necessarily opens doors. It's more about what you do in the day to day and how you help people. Yeah, actually, the whole process of writing a book is and actually building the community around it. That's that's something that, that matters. Yeah, exactly. The, as they, they say, you know, like you're actually selling the book while you're writing it, you know, like sharing the snippet, sharing advice and everything else. And then, you know, what you're going to do next? Well, you already have a community, have people over there that know who you are and respect you for that. Then you have, you know, the book. OK, I'm the authority, but I have the book also to prove it. And then you can move on. Yeah. And it's been a fun journey. I got to meet so many amazing people. So. Funny story, when I started writing the book, I wrote a couple of chapters and I asked my husband, who is my best friend, to take a look. Um, and he read the first couple of chapters and he said, babe, you know, I love you, but this is not good. You, you can do so much better. I've seen you write so much better. And I couldn't figure out what was not working. So I was building the community at the time I was sharing content. And I just asked people, hey, would you jump on a call with me? I want to give you free career advice. And just by talking to people, and I ended up doing more than 100 free career coaching calls, like a good marketer, I wanted to do customer research, and I learned what people cared about, what were their biggest problems, and more importantly, how they want to be communicated, how they want to consume that information. And what I learned is that people really want stories. They don't just want the template or the playbook, they want to see how it, things happen in real life. And that's why I decided to incorporate so many of my own personal stories, just to make it more relatable and show people some of the wins, but also a lot of the failures so they can avoid them. Uh, but just acting like a marketer really helped me uh, create a book that resonates with people. Yeah, it, it reminds me of what I've been doing this morning. You know, I've been writing my about section because we redesigned the website and did the change in messaging and like, those words you are saying, I think something similar is in my about section. So um, it's good to know that I'm on the right way. Uh, but tell me, tell me, there is there is one thing that caught my attention, and I want to ask you so we can get into uh, into the conversation into more details. Uh, you know, and you said your designing experiences detect prospects from thinking what is this to saying I want this, and I think. This is the question that lots of companies ask themselves, you know, how can I do this? So maybe you can uh, you can go a little bit into that. Yeah, of course, it actually goes back to what I just mentioned about customer development. So I think too often um, companies or marketers make the mistake of thinking, oh, I just need to define my ideal customer and then I'm going to outline all of my features and sell them. But that doesn't necessarily make people care. People care about things that impact them. They either want to increase pleasure or avoid pain. And unless you actually have a conversation with your customer, you may miss out on some of the most important aspects of that. Because if you're not the target customer, and even if you are, one person is not enough, you really want to understand how your customers think. So 
in going from what is this to I want this, you actually go through the customer journey. You talk to people. And here's one of the biggest things that people ask me, okay, great, I wanna talk to my customers, but what does that mean? And they come up with a list of questions and those questions are always targeted at their products and their features. And what I say is actually very different. Go have a conversation with your customers with no agenda. Just listen to them. Just ask them, what does your day-to-day look like? How do you, you know, what are your biggest challenges? How have you been solving those challenges so far? You know what? Even talk to them about their latest vacation. Just build a relationship and let them tell the story from their perspective. And the more you do that, the more you realize, hey, there's actually a trend. A lot of our potential customers are saying the same thing. And when you actually focus on what they need, not what you're trying to sell, everything changes. That's when you can use their own words to sell your product. And that's what I've done throughout my career to really help companies uh, differentiate in really busy and competitive markets. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, knowing your customers and you know, who you're, you're talking to is so important. And we repeat it, at least on this podcast, you know, almost in every episode. And, and still people, people don't get deep enough into those things because you need to understand your customers, uh, you know, on a deeper level than just business. You know, I, I remember talking about, about MBA, about phishing, about different things. You know, and seeing, okay, three out of four custom types of customers that we define as ICPs, you know, love fishing. So that's something else that we can connect them about. And then, you know, uh, one thing that you mentioned, and I want to get a little bit into that, is, you know, knowing their pains and knowing frustrations, those kind of things, but also not emphasizing maybe those things in communicating with them. Because... Uh, what I see is there are lots of people that are, you know, maybe not ready to to say that they have this problem and talk about it, or you know, they're insecure. But if you if you uh, make it as, uh, you know, if you connect the trend and you make it as something which is bigger than themselves, uh, a big change that is happening, then they might feel different about talking uh, talking around those topics. Yeah, it's about building a relationship. And I think that is what scares people the most because let's be honest, if you work for a startup, for example, things are pretty hectic. Things move really quickly. There are expectations. You need to drive revenue, especially if you're you know, an executive. Um, and it's almost like, oh, it's not important to talk to customers. It's a waste of time. It's just talking. But from my experience, that's the one thing that will impact everything else that you do and will actually allow you to use all of that time and effort to do something that drives the needle. But people are really scared. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit intimidated when I was supposed to start talking to customers at first because it's kind of weird. And even just reaching out to them uh, is like, hey, I just want to talk to you. Uh, But it's actually a great experience, especially for marketers, because it's a little bit closer to what the sales team would probably do. And that's something that you want to experience. You want to see people's objections live. You want to hear how they're framing the value that you're creating. And more often than not, they're going to give you the answer. I don't understand why people are so scared of it. It's almost like getting the answer to a test 
before you actually go in and take that exam. And who wouldn't want to do that? You're getting a free pass. So it's just about investing a little bit of time and effort to really understand where your customers are coming from instead of sitting in a room and trying to decide what they want. I've seen so many marketers do that. It's the corporate culture. They, they, they all sit in a room and they're like, I think you know, our customers are gonna need X, Y, Z. And you know what? Maybe that's a good place to start, but then go and validate that. Go and have those conversations so you know it's not just in your head, it's actually what your customers want. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think also marketers are still scared of how to do that or go into those conversations or actually listening to the to the sales calls or you know if they have customer success teams also listen to their calls you know uh, and we are still used to you know being a safe zone you know, we create events we do webinars we promote them and you know here are the leads you do whatever you want with them we are not interested in that i think uh, you know marketers are started to understand that this part of of their journey is over you know like marketers who are still doing that will end up uh you know not being validated for their work and possibly you know working in some companies they don't even care about marketing about the things that they are doing uh but what's what's interesting is that today you can you can hear those customers of yours on different podcasts it doesn't have to be the call that you are doing with them and you know when it comes to uh being scared of doing those things you know just saying to a to a customer like listen i'm the the new cmo in the company and i'm here to see how i can help you uh better use your products and get the, the better value of the money you're spending with us like everybody will jump in and tell you all the things that they can remember to help you help them right yeah and it's okay if you hear a no if you're sending 10 emails and two people want to talk to you that's amazing you don't need all 10 people i mean i, I know as as a vp of marketing i got dozens of emails every single day and sometimes i have the time and the capacity and sometimes i don't and that's perfectly fine um, hopefully you have more than 10 customers, but even if you don't, right, then you can still jump on sales calls to your point. Uh, that's the minimum that you can do because you want to hear how people uh, ask questions. You want to know what they care about, and then you can use your marketing to already answer those questions. So when they get to sales, they're actually more qualified, meaning they actually know what problem you're solving and hopefully they already know that they want your solution because you did a really good job explaining how you're going to help them. And to your point earlier, marketing is a massive and valuable part of the business. We drive revenue. If your team is not doing that, then you're not doing marketing. Marketing is not just brand. It's not just you know writing blog posts because if all of that doesn't actually convert into dollars, then you're not doing your job. And I think it's a huge and important shift because that makes marketing that much more important. That is what makes our work that much more impactful. And at least for me, that's a huge bonus in my day to day that I know that I get to help a company grow from zero to 5 million or from 5 million to 10 million in ARR. I mean, I don't know. That's why I do what I do. Why are you doing it? 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, here's a question. Marketers should actually be on the sales calls. I guess Amir is ironic. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, they, there's this thing. They don't need to be on the call. They can just be a silent listener. That That's also okay. Yeah, I would I would say there are different um, value proposition in doing different things, right? If you're just listening, if you have gong or something like that, and you're listening after the call, that's great. You're going to learn the basics. I 100% recommend that you do that. You can do it on your own time. I actually used to listen during when you know when I'm cooking, when I'm running. Uh, I actually listen to sales calls. Um, that's step number one. You can actually join a call. I would take it a step further. If you really want to experience it, try doing sales calls yourself. Maybe don't jump into like the full thing. Maybe start with qualification, right? Do an SDR job. Uh, reach out to um, customers who want to take a demo and just kind of qualify them and ask them the questions. And lastly, again, this is probably best case scenario, but I would highly recommend that you do it have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and don't be specific about your own product. Just talk to them about the problem and the space that you're working in and you will find things that you never thought possible. I can give you a great example. Um, in one of my previous companies, uh, the VP of product and myself, we went out on a road trip. We wanted to talk to customers. So we literally had this type of conversation. Hey, how are you doing? What's up? We also wanted to check about a new feature that we were launching, but we kept that to the end of the conversation. And what happened was after talking to about 10 or 12 customers, we learned about a new problem that we never knew existed. There was a very specific reason they were not you know, signing up as quickly or staying with us long enough. Um, and it was a problem that was relatively easy to fix. We just didn't know it existed because we don't know their day-to-day. -day. We don't understand how their mind thinks. And by having a super simple conversation of like, what is your biggest problem? Why are, you know, why are you not happy? What can we do better? And my favorite question, if you had a magic wand and you can change one thing about our product to make it really great, what would it be? And it was amazing to see about 10 out of 12 people said the same thing. And we went back and we completely changed our roadmap and we fixed that problem instead of launching a new feature. And it had a phenomenal impact on uh, our growth. Yeah, because that thing is the one that comes after, you know, after they know, uh, they know what you're all about, what they are all about, you know, what's the promised land. And then you come reaching out to them and asking them, you know, about the things like, I, I like to compare that as, uh, you know, Star Wars, maybe a lightsaber. That's it. That's the thing that you ask them, you know, uh, to go a little bit into into epic fantasy as well, not only in the into the fairy tales, but actually those things are really connected and really important. And if you if you have a chance now in this pandemic times to, to go to the customers offline and actually have a conversation, you know, uh, have a lunch whatever with them and just get to know them you know the feeling when you get when you're talking with them and they can get talking to you it means a lot yeah and there's a really nice hack to do that also by the way um if you want to start a podcast and literally interview your icp 
you're going to learn a lot through those conversations while creating a lot of great marketing content for um, your demand engine. So I, I wouldn't say it's instead, it's, you know, uh, in addition to actually having those conversations. But look, if you just joined a new company, right? It's your first 30, maybe 60 days. You can probably afford to spend 10 hours speaking to 10 to 15 customers to really learn what they need, because that will impact how you build your strategy. That will impact who you actually recruit for your team. It's going to impact everything. So I would say start with that. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to say that because I'm saying that all the time. Thank you for, for saying that. And I mean, you know, uh, usually when marketing comes into the company, there's there's a sales team out there. Usually that's the situation. And sales team usually have at least like 100 sales accounts they want to close. So just using that and inviting all those people on the podcast as a long-term uh, relationship that needs to be built, it means a lot. And in Accelerate, the growth a lot and it helps you not only with you know connecting with them and closing those accounts but also as we talked about developing the product further or the services whatever it is seeing what are the touch points that you are maybe missing how's the decision making process going you know where do they go to to look for a vendor when they need it or they maybe get where they go to educate themselves those are all important things that you can find out only if you talk to those people like I remember working with a company that uh, had an ICP of developers, you know, and it's it's hard these days to, to get developers because they are in the small it's communities. very tough. And they also yeah. don't like marketing. Of course, of course. I mean, they're on LinkedIn, basically, you know, they're running away from it because they just get spammed by recruiters and by offers and those kind of things. But you know what, what did we find by interviewing them? We found out that, uh, you know, that um, they're into the small communities, especially those from the companies they were talking with, are in the small communities that are gathering around board games. Because they want to uh, to actually work with other developers. They're, uh, you know, um, into board games because others would be bored if, if they don't play them. And also what we find out is, you know, is that the content that they are seeing uh, around those topics that we asked them is not good. So what the company did is, uh, you know, ask one of their developers uh, if they would, uh, you know, for the same salary, if they would change the position and start writing content for developers. And, and it okay. changed the shift, you know. That is, first of all, that is phenomenal because what most companies would do is go and hire a copywriter that knows absolutely nothing about your industry and create generic content. The fact that mm -hmm. you already went to an SME, to an expert, that is probably the best advice I can give marketers. And I've seen it over and over again where I join companies and, oh, we work with these two external copywriters. Um, and, and while I appreciate that you can learn about a topic, it is so different when you have an expert. And that's why I love the podcast idea, because you don't have to create the content. You don't have to be the yes. expert. You can bring in other people and learn from them. 
And in that way you learn, but also you help the community grow and learn. Um, so I love that you did that. That is a huge and valuable tip for anyone listening. If you really want to create meaningful, valuable content, you need someone who's an expert to actually write it. Yes, you can create some SEO generic evergreen content. I actually don't believe that's the winning strategy in 2021, almost 2022. Yeah, I totally agree. Because like, I mean, it all depends who's your target group, but still you need to write those articles for the people and, you know, to actually give a new perspective on the things not to target the keywords. That's that's the main the main yeah. difference. The point is adding value, not adding blog posts to your blog. It's much better to have 10 pieces of content that people actually read and enjoy than having a hundred that no one actually sees. Yeah, and, and I wanted to clarify one thing because usually we talk about the things that we just mentioned add value, but we don't explain it. So I think it becomes one of these generic advices that we all give. Uh, but, you know, in this case, if uh, lots of people have been talking about, uh, about the, you know, the one topic, what you can do is you can try to get a little bit into top leadership and bring in new perspectives on things. So, for example, how you are doing things differently than the others. What do you see that others don't see? You know, those kind of things. And, and then it's the top uh, content on the same topic, but with a new perspective. And it get, get differentiated uh, when people are looking for it to find. Yeah, and, and I would say experience. If this is something you've, you've actually done, or if this is an SME writing, an expert writing, and they can share their own experience, even if it's the same advice, just coming from someone who went through the process and can add the actual details and can really explain what it looks like. I think that's really valuable. And that's actually a lesson I learned about my content on LinkedIn. So when I started, a lot of the content was like very inspirational, big quotes, and it doesn't always really resonate with people because it's what I call fluff, right? So sometimes it's nice to see it and you kind of nod, but you don't get anything out of it. You can take it yes. and actually put it into practice. So I changed my content and I try to write a, the most practical advice I can share. Like here are three things you can do right now, or here's how to do it so that you would actually see the benefit. And that what ended up resonating with people, the fact that they can actually put it to use. And I think it's the same for your company. If you really put content out there that is valuable and people can use it, I think that is what will end up resonating with them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, depending on what is the platform we're talking about, but, you know, yeah. doing that with content, uh, content that is, uh, you know, that they can go and execute right away uh, or, the co or the content that is related to, you know, to other people that they know. So including other people in creating content and then basically you're thinking about distribution ahead. Yeah, and, and I actually would add here, so this is probably controversial, but I don't believe in gating content. I think that's old school. I think you need to give as much value upfront to your potential customers so they build in their heads that you are giving them value that you are an expert, that you know what you're doing. You don't need to keep them hostage with an email. By the way, most people don't even use their own email anymore. There are temp emails. So 
um, I, I just believe in giving everything, everything that you can give for free to really build that relationship and trust. And then people come to you. And I've done it over and over again in my business and for other companies. And it works. It just works. Same, same experience. So yeah, we, we agree on that. Uh, so tell me, uh, you know, let's talk hypothetically. If, uh, if we are a startup and uh, we are in a phase that we need to start building a marketing team, what's that phase? When do we as a startup uh, think that we need marketing or where, how, did, how does that happen? Because there are lots of conversations around that, you know, should we add marketing from the start or we add it later or how does it go? What's your experience? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's definitely going to vary. It depends on the industry. It depends on the CEO, but as a rule of thumb, I would say this, I would probably think about bring, bringing different types of marketers at different times of the company growth. So for example, if you're relatively early on and you're still trying to figure out who your audience is, that might be a great time to hire a product marketing expert because they can really help you with, going to market and really understanding who your customer is, is what we just talked about. They can help you build the messaging and the positioning. They can build the initial sales enablement. So even if you have one salesperson, um, they can really help you build that story and see what works. So if it's very early on, maybe a product marketer, when you have something that works, when you know, okay, this is my ICP. Now I need to go and scale this. This is when you want to bring in a demand expert and potentially um, marketing ops. That's actually a big one. I used to wait to hire marketing ops. And now I think it's one of the first people you need to bring on board because you want to build the infrastructure and you want to build it right from the get go because fixing it later uh, and updating Salesforce or whatever you're using is not fun. It takes weeks and weeks and yeah. weeks. And it's cost. want to do that. <laughs> It costs a lot of money as well. Um, and I think that's also a good time to start thinking about bringing in a marketing leader, right? You want that executive that can start thinking strategically. So if you have something that works, even if it's small and you want to scale it, that's step number one. But now you need to think about the next quarter and the next year and how do you double revenue, not just grow it by 10%. And that's when you want to bring in a leader and someone who can really work with the CEO, work with the executive team uh, to think about the future and not just the day-to-day. -day. Yeah, so, so it gets me to, to the question that I've seen, I think, a couple of weeks ago, uh, who talked about it, I think, Gaetano Dinardi, uh, my friend from, from Brooklyn, and uh, some, some other people, you know, uh, seeing like different VPs of marketing and CMOs, you know, not knowing how to, you know, go into the CRM and check out things on their own or do those kind of stuff to kind of get their heads in the dirt and, and you know, check some things on their own instead of waiting for somebody from the team to actually, uh, you know, give them the reports or anything. So. What's your uh, your uh, take on that? Should they just, you know, be somebody that uh, builds a team, think strategically, uh, do things from that level? Or they should be somebody that has also done things before and has built themselves up to that point when they can now talk about the strategy. Now they know who they need in the team for it to be successful 
and not enough. Yeah. I'm not sure there's a right or wrong answer because I've seen both work. And I think it also really depends on the company and organization. If you're working for a smaller startup and you have a tiny team, then you'll probably be expected to do some hands-on work. So you definitely need to know a little bit more. I think what is very important for a leader is to not necessarily understand um, how to go into the systems, but how to analyze the data. So you may not know how to use the CRM, but if you get the report and you look at the data and you can turn it into insights because you have enough experience, because you understand how customers think, because you understand your own market, I think that's where you bring a lot of value. It doesn't hurt to know how to actually use those systems, but I'm going to be honest, I'm probably not, you know, the biggest expert in SEO. I don't know how to create millions of dashboards in Google Analytics, but that doesn't mean I don't know how to ask the right questions and get the information that I need to make decisions. So I think it's a balance. And I think where I saw the most success for marketing leaders is they are experts in at least one specific field and <laughs> For some reason, when uh, CEOs are looking to hire, they are looking for a unicorn. They want a marketer who is an expert in everything. They're an expert in product marketing and demand gen and brand and PR. First and foremost, that does not exist. Uh, I don't know anyone who can do everything that well. And if you do, I would like to meet them. Um, but if you own your own discipline and you're very good at what you do, and then you know how to hire people who are 10 times better than you, in everything else, that's how you bring the most value because you can then connect the dots. You can be the, the driver of the strategy. You can set the North Star and you can trust your people because they're experts to do an incredible job actually executing on your vision. Yeah, I agree. It depends. There are tons of different situations and it all depends who you need in the company. But you know, as a CEO, you need to know that that's, that's, that now becomes the burden you need, you need to carry on. Well, I definitely tell that to CEOs. Whenever I do consulting, I try to align expectations and help them figure out what should they expect their VP or CMO to do and also who to look for. For some companies, that product marketer would actually do a better job. And for others, they want the demand expert. Um, and once you figure out what direction you want to go, the hiring process also becomes easier because you actually know what to expect and you can evaluate people on you know, the results that you want to drive and not on some really broad spectrum of capabilities. Yeah, uh, agreed. Amir asked another question. Uh, I think we can maybe elaborate a little bit about it. I guess he, he joined us uh, a bit later because you talked about marketing being responsible for the revenue and results and those kind of things. But he asked, like, can we also talk about the conversation these days about how marketing will be accountable for revenue like sales is? So maybe we can go and dig a little bit deeper, you know, how do you see marketing contributing to the results? Yeah. I think one of the biggest shifts, and it's been going on for a while, is moving from thinking about leads, which I'm going to be honest, you can pay 75 cents and use Zoom Info and get leads. You don't actually need to do marketing work to go there. So shifting from that mindset to thinking a lot further down the funnel. How do I either generate qualified pipelines or even revenue? And 
that means that marketing is more accountable. That means that we need to change our strategies and our tactics. So we don't just collect emails. We actually change minds and hearts. We get people to come to us, but when they come to us, they're prepared. And it's a very different approach. And I think it's even more, um, more of an um, accountability play with sales because I have to tell you, when you send shitty leads to sales, um, a lot of bad things happen because they don't want to work with you. They don't want to qualify them. Um, and the, we are working to achieve the same goal, the same results. So when you work closely with sales and you are able to bring them people who already want to buy, you build that symbiotic relationship that really drives growth for the company. And it's not easy. It sounds easy. Oh, just be friends. Not that yeah, easy. You really need to like, align and have tons and tons of conversations and do it over and over again um, and review your pipeline together and have coffee with your VP of sales to make sure that, you know, their SDRs are actually qualifying marketing leads, blah, blah. There's a lot that goes into it. But um, I think the main shift is from generating leads, mass marketing, to really being specific about the people that you bring into the pipeline and how you work together with sales to target the same people, to share the same message and just really build a strong brand that people understand and want to buy. Yeah. Do, do you think it's related to the to the development of the, of the tech? I think it's very much related to the shift that we have because in the past, we couldn't measure marketing any other way. So they say, okay, let's measure them on leads. And then when you measure them on leads, we had like the number needs to grow. And then we end up in, in the moment where, you know, as you mentioned, sales says marketing fucked up again. These people are not interesting to buy, you know, and I think tech now allows us to actually see the value of marketing, how it impacts the, you know, the whole company and the whole pipeline. And basically, it brings marketing uh, to the to the table with with sales, with executives, with uh, customer success, and all other teams. Yeah, and we also have to be okay with the fact that we can't measure everything. That's also part of the problem, right? Because we we talked about a podcast before. It's actually hard to see direct correlation between building a podcast to your bottom line numbers, right? It takes time. And you can't always say, oh, out of the 100 people who download the episode, here's one that actually bought. But you can see the shift in mindset. You can see people starting to come to you. You can see how you're driving. You know, when, in my previous company, when we started our podcast, we had to basically beg people to come and be guests, right? Because no one wants to be the first one. Mm -hmm. And about six months into it, I had people coming to us and begging to be on the podcast. And that's a great example to show you that if you build a good you know strategy if you have the right content it will start spreading and it will help you build that trust and the people who were coming to us they were all our icps they were all on our target list and they were coming to us to ask you know to be partners and to hear more and to be part of the conversation and yes it's a long-term play but it's a much better way to generate what we call qualified leads and have a real conversation with people as opposed to just collecting emails. And there's nothing wrong with email, right? I, I like having the possibility to, to reach out to my customers and you should still do that, but that shouldn't be the gate to actually having a conversation 
or adding value. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. And I mean, people will soon realize as they start focusing on the long-term goals that, you know, that they will get the short ones done as well if that happens. You know, uh, short ones are also, uh, you know, unrolling as you set up for the long-term goals because you don't think about transaction at the moment. You think about building a relationship and, and that changes everything. People can feel it. And, you know, they can see if you are about transaction or if you are about, you know, bringing value and creating the relationship with them. Yeah, but, but to be honest, if you're a marketing executive, expectations are going to be through the roof, right? No one wants to wait 12 to 18 months until you build a demand machine. So you need to balance the short term. So you need to have a few quick wins and show that you can actually uh, create that pipeline while you're building for the long term. And that's probably one of the most challenging parts of being a leader because you really have to balance both uh, and help your team understand why you're doing both and then manage your CEO's expectations, which is a whole nother story uh, that we can get into. Yeah, uh, that's exactly where I, where I want to go. Uh, but look, what's, what's your take on kind of aligning marketing with sales I and mean, with other teams when you just start? So like one of, one of the take that I, that I had uh, from Nicole Gates uh, here on the podcast is that she basically set up the sales goals to be marketing goals from the start and kind of get, got the sales in the same room with marketing and explain why these are their goals, how are they going to achieve it, just so marketing understands what sales is doing. And then kind of, you know, start building, get the first results, which are actually leads with webinars with, that are educating people and then yeah. get the trust and be able to move things uh, bit by bit uh, to, to get to the next point. Yeah, and I love that approach. Um, I think the first thing I did with my sales leader um, is, is aligning on those goals. So especially because I was early into my role, it was basically, okay, what are your sales goals? What do you need me to do to, to make your team successful? So yes, making sure that there's alignment, but also in a way that marketing is serving sales. We had a weekly meeting where I asked, what are your top priorities? What do you need my team to deliver for you? And some days it was, you know, sales enablement, or, you know, sometimes it was, we really need to look at the pipeline. And we had a weekly meeting where we literally went over Salesforce and we looked into the pipeline and we all looked at the numbers and we all agreed on the numbers. And um, our product marketing team would meet with the AEs every two weeks to ask them, hey, what's not working? What do you need from us? So instead of working in silo, really accepting that we're building the same thing, we're moving towards the same goal and the only way to achieve it is if we work together um, and even on a personal note, right, I invited our VP of sales to lunch, to your point, and just had a real conversation and got to know them as a person to make sure that, you know, we're, we're building that friendship and that trust. So when things go wrong, and sometimes they go wrong, um, you know, he has my back and I has, uh, have his back, and we have a united front when we come in front of the executive team. Yeah, that's that's so important. And let's talk about uh, uh, in this last part of the show. Let's talk about uh, you know about leading teams. 
today. Yeah. So uh, we are actually there talking about, you know, about how managers can do it, how they can align different teams and those kind of things. But it's a hard position to be because on one part you have you have the team which you are actually working for them in a way and they expect something for you. But on the other hand, you have the board or the CEO who is also demanding you to get results, which are, you know, sometimes different than what, you know, other people from, from your team are, you know, are interested in. And basically you are in the middle and not many people talk about that position and how hard sometimes it is being, being in that position. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I think one of my um, team members actually called it a buffer. You're my buffer. Yeah. Um, and I think the key here is transparency and communication. And here's what I mean. It, seems, it sounds super simple and straightforward, but I think a lot of people don't do that. Um, after every executive meeting, I would usually write a, a quick summary and I would share it in the next marketing meeting. Anything that you know, I, I can actually share with them in advance because I wanted them to know what, what is happening every single week. How are we thinking about challenges? What's happening? What are we struggling with? Where did we have wins? I wanted them to have clarity because here's what's happened. When you surprise people, when you just come to them and like, oh, the CEO changed his mind, we now need to do that. They're really frustrated. If they're part of the process, if they know, hey, we're actually considering this change and, you know, if week over week they kind of hear we're going in a specific direction, then when that request comes in, they actually get it and they understand and um, they're bought in and ready to do the work. So just trusting them with that information and giving them context and clarity has been super helpful for me. And it sounds like the easiest thing in the world, but it's actually very easy to Miss, I didn't do it for the first couple of weeks in my new role because I was so busy, you know, first 30 days, I need to change the world. Um, and I kind of forgot. So now I use a template and I actually share it in my uh, coaching sessions, a template for marketing team meetings that already includes uh, that kind of hand down from the executive um, leadership. So they always have the context they need. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, there's one thing I want to ask you uh, as well is how much should uh, should we share with a team when it comes to the negative stuff that we are chasing yeah. about not the challenges, but actually negative stuff that are happening, you know, because my experience is if you go over the line, you know, you are basically uh, sharing your burden with a team and they don't need that burden you know yeah and and i agree and i think there's a difference between being honest and and sharing your own burden so when you show up as a leader even when things don't go well um you still want to show up in the most positive way you can i'm not saying lying i'm not saying hide something but even if something is going wrong you need to be the rock because if, if you don't feel confident if you don't have a solution your team will feel lost. But when it comes to sharing some of the bad things that are happening, I think it depends on context. If it would be helpful for them to know, then I will probably share it, right? If we had, for example, a customer who churned, I want them to know, I want them to understand why it happened 
so they can take that into account when they build their own strategy or when they create content or whatever it is that that we're doing you know if we had a specific comment from the board that is more relevant to the executive team i may not share everything in full detail so you really have to uh, use some judgment there to to make sure that you're delivering the right the right messages and the right information but i actually believe in being as transparent as possible if i hired someone to do their job that means i trust them and in order to empower them to do their best work they need information if i keep hiding it from them they will never do their best work and then there's no point you know of me hiring them so if i trust people i give them the information and i trust them to make the right decisions with that information yeah yeah i totally agree uh it's it's a lot more challenging in a small team when there are like 10 people because you you easily fall into the trap you know and they are a small team we should share everybody but you know you have a creative a designer you know which he cannot affect the revenue directly or he is not you know responsible for some of the things directly he has somebody who is you know above him who checks out the work and everything he doesn't have direct uh responsible line of communication with a client and yeah. you know uh if you keep sharing ah you know we have this negative stuff we have this negative stuff we don't know how we're gonna survive the quarter or you know those kind of things then you know they started to think and it affects the creativity it affects the you know the way they are doing the work and you are actually doing something that is making them you know see they're like it's all negative here when you come to the work it's all negativity so why do i don't i go somewhere else to work where there's you know there are people who are also sharing other stuff except that yeah i would argue that's actually not about the negative because i can actually share an example uh, in one of my previous companies where we had a bit of a of the challenge we were going through a rough time with the company and um, i did share it with the entire team including to your point our designer um, and she actually came up with an idea she was like why don't we do xyz to change it so sometimes the best ideas come from you know the most unexpected people mm -hmm. and i would actually say if they don't have regular content with your customers they actually need that information more the question is how you share it I would probably never tell my team, I have no idea how we're gonna make it through this quarter, everything is shit. I would tell them, hey, we're not pacing as expected odd numbers. Let's have a brainstorming session. I want you to come up with new ideas on how we can accelerate growth. So it really depends on how you approach it. And that's not lying. I would still show them the numbers. I would still be honest that this is not the best situation to be in. But I would approach it from a positive perspective, from a learning yeah. perspective of how can we fix this? And I would give them the power to help. It feels really annoying that someone tells you, oh, this is the biggest problem we have, but I don't want you to do anything about it. You know, if, if you hired great people who are motivated, they probably want to help. It's their way to grow and learn. So you want to include them and make sure that they're part of the conversation. Yeah, and and basically, you know, if you if you have trust in them, you hire them. After all, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? I mean, you doing the work, right? As you would do without them anyway. So, but in most cases, 
they might surprise you with something with something good because you know they have the confidence you hire them you gave them uh some tasks to do you know uh you encourage them and you give them the freedom so uh you know if everybody has that in their work um, i guess they would have uh you know better results anytime than if they don't have it yeah and i mean that's how i grew in my career my managers gave me opportunities and included me and allowed me to to try different things but i also always knew that i had a security blanket because they always had my back and this is something i tell my team no matter what you do you know i will always have your back whatever happens is my responsibility so have the freedom to make mistakes nothing is a mistake if we if we learn from it but what i also encourage them to do and i think you really need to understand how people learn some people really need the hand holding you know they really want you to approve every single step you'll do it a few times they'll learn and then they'll have the confidence to do it themselves other people are like give me the goal i'm going to figure it out hands off and once you figure out who needs what you can really um make sure that you align your leadership style with what they need and that's how you allow them to thrive because you know what some people actually need that support and they want the communication and they will touch base with you every single step but that's okay because all you have to do is say yes uh it's not about how you're doing the work it's just you giving them the confirmation that they need and some of your superstars are just going to go out and do whatever you know they think is best and if you build a good enough relationship they will come to you if something is wrong they're not going to try and hide it they're going to be really honest and then you can solve problems together but if you don't take that risk then you didn't hire great employees you hired people who execute your orders and i don't think that's leadership yeah i totally agree that's that's a great perspective and i mean you know giving them freedom uh and just letting them go and do the work can can work you know if you have uh a class employees which is not happening you maybe have one in the company in most cases you have none because those are rare you people hire, you hired them ho- hopefully no 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 i i want to say something different but uh for all the others they can be great in what they do but you need to to have the pattern for them you know to to follow i mean when i say pattern i want to say you need to have at least some kind of processes you know because then people can have freedom inside that and you know if they are not a players you know in most cases we have maybe maybe c or d players it all depends not everybody can be a great leader and lead the others and be you know uh, one of a kind so by having the process it enhances their abilities as well yeah i agree and it's funny um i don't remember where i read it but you can think about your team as uh superstars and rock stars so superstars are the yeah i, I remember that lead. that's a great one Yeah, so superstar are the people who need that engagement. They need to do more and try more and those are very often people who move up the rank and try different things and maybe end up being that leader. And um rock stars are people who are really good at what they do and they just want to be experts in their own field. Um they don't necessarily need you to continue promoting them 
um, uh, but they want to be recognized for, for what they do. And different times in your career, you may be a rock star and sometimes you may be a superstar. It really depends on your level of comfort and if you're feeling safe and if you have opportunities for growth. So it's okay to have both. I would actually argue you need both. Because if all of your employees are just trying to move up the ladder, who would do the work? So you need a you need a mix so that you have that engagement, that you have people motivating others, um, and that you have that innovation. That's actually huge for companies because there's a tendency, especially in the really big corporate, to just do things the same way. Um, and it drives me crazy when I talk to people and like, hey, why are you doing this? And the answer is, I don't know. It's just how we've always done it. So I'm doing it. Um, and you definitely don't want to have that mindset. So you need some of those people to push the boundaries, to ask questions, and to try to do different things. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Remind me of an example, like when it was my first time uh, to be a GM. Basically, I came as a rookie to the company, uh, you know, knowing about social media, about digital marketing, didn't know anything about SEO. And that was the, the most important part of the work at the time. Uh, so I needed to learn a lot. And I was sharing everything, every article, every video, everything on the team Slack. Um, and basically, bit by bit, I became the team leader. I took over the biggest clients. And, you know, one day I became the GM. In, in just 13 months, uh, I've been through that journey. And... What was interesting is my perspective at the times. You know, I was I was the last one coming to the company. I was the first ever GM. Uh, there were two owners that uh, you know didn't consider anybody to be GM material before, uh, and you know I didn't understand that there are some people who you know who wanted to be in that place, and actually I was somebody that come that came to the company after them. So there was that, but also, you know, when I become the GM, I wanted everybody to accelerate their knowledge, the growth and everything and to grow as I'm growing. And, you know, I, I made them, you know, you can read this, I send materials to, uh, to them, you know, those kind of things. But then I got the feedback and, and it wasn't good on some of the things. And I understand, okay, some of the people really want to come to the company, work for eight hours, do a decent job and go home. They don't want to you know, to move forward and that's okay for them. And that's okay for me to understand. But then, you know, as a GM, do I want those kind of people in the company? That's then another question. Uh, but what's been good and it's the thing that you are saying, you know, having uh, in this case owners uh, backing me up. Uh, I mean, they put me in the GM position and didn't re answer any of my calls for two months. They told everybody like Nemanja is is the one that has all the freedom, but all the responsibilities as we have. I didn't know any passwords, uh, process, nothing. So I have to create everything from the start. It slowed us down as a company, but like in two months, I got through all of it. I set up all the processes, every single thing. And I learned all the things that, you know, that I'm now using in my careers in year after. And I'm like forever grateful for that because they were able to put the company in the second place and me in the first place so I can learn some of the things and then we can grow further when I do. 
Yeah, and, and I love that it all started with having an owner's mindset, right? You thought outside of your own role. You thought, how can I help the business as a whole? That included your team, that included other areas. Uh, and that's exactly how I was able to level up in my career, always thinking like an owner and not just sticking to my job description uh, and trying to fix problems. Because at the end of the day, no matter what you were hired to do, your goal is to make the company more successful. And I think smart companies or smart managers understand that and empower their team members to do that. I mean, if I hired someone to do X and they want to do X plus Y, that's a very positive ROI. Why would I, why would I object? But I think some managers are a little bit scared that maybe their employees will outshine them or that they won't do their work. But again, it all goes back to trust. If you didn't build trust with your employees, if you didn't hire people who are excellent at what they do, and they should actually be better than you at what they do, then you probably didn't hire the best people for the job. Um, so we can, we can probably end with that. Um, it's one of the biggest challenges for managers to hire someone uh, who knows more than them on a specific area. I definitely struggled with it for a while, but once I hired an expert and I saw what they can do and how much I can learn from them, I will never go back. I now try to hire people who know that much more than me because I am not being judged as an executive just on what I do. I'm being judged on what my team does. So I want to have the best team possible and I want to give them all the resources and the tools to do their best job because if they shine, I shine. And I think that's one thing that leaders really need to understand because that's what really makes you, uh, I think, a great manager. Yeah, I totally agree. And I wouldn't end anything else to the end. I would just end one thing that I, that I forgot is that one of the owners, we're in Serbia, he was living in Canada and he came to Serbia for the summer after I was like three months in the company and travel for 300 kilometers to spend a day with me, rookie at the company at the time, just to get to know me. And I was like, why the fuck is he now coming to, to, you know, to spend? And after, you know, like eight or 11 months after that, you know, when, when they asked me to be a GM, I understood everything, like how it goes and what they have been doing. And like, you gotta be grateful for those kind of people that kind of, you know, taught you how to, how you can uh, also lead others. Yeah. And you want to, you want to pay it forward, right? You want to do the same for your employees. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Maya, I would now ask people just to, you know, uh, to go back and listen to the full episodes from the start, because we talked about so many different things and mentioned so many important uh, points and steps they can use in their career to, you know, to move forward, not only, you know, as, as marketers, but also as leaders, as, as, as the company owners. And uh, I would like to thank you for being uh, for being on the show. Uh, and tell me one thing: where can people find you? Where can people find information about you? Uh, tell them those things. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's been a blast. Uh, and people can find me on LinkedIn. It's Maya Grossman, or just go to my website, MayaGrossman.com. You can read about uh, my book, my coaching services, everything you want to know. 
Yeah, sounds good. We'll add some links in the in the description as well. Uh, Maya, thank you one more time. Uh, guys, uh, there's one message we always say at the end, and this is keep it funky and see you in another episode.